Okay, I'm on. Good. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, please could you go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We will be continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, looking at the third commandment today, verse 7. We're going to get to that in the the moment. We started a couple of weeks ago this new series, Free to Live, going through the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments as a group are seem to be universally known. People have heard of the Ten Commandments. They contain around 300 words, depending on the translation. And those 300 words have reverberated down the centuries, influencing uh, governments and societies. Yet today, if you actually pin someone down and say, could you name the Ten Commandments? Many, many, many people, even Christians, would struggle to get all ten Yet going back just a short period of time, maybe even a hundred years, these were used by the church to train new believers. It was one of their standard things. There were three things the church used to train new believers. First one was the Ten Commandments, second one was the um, Lord's Prayer, and the third one was the Apostles' Creed. And what we're going to do, my plan is, what I hope to do over the next 12 months is to go through all three of those, but we're starting now with the Ten Commandments. I recommended over the last uh, couple of weeks... Um, Some books to read if you want to look up them. They've been on the email. I gave away a bunch of copies. I hope you're enjoying and reading them. Once you've done that, why don't you pass that on to someone in your life group so they can learn a little bit more. If you want to delve into them, please look into that. But let's just do a kind of quick recap of some of the stuff we've looked at. The Ten Commandments occur in the first five books of the Bible that are collectively known as the Law. And in the book of Exodus, and again in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are stated, and they're often referred to as the law, but also the wider body there is also referred to the law. And the law itself can be broken down into three areas. There was the ceremonial law, which is everything to do with the temple and sacrifices and offerings, particularly find that in the book of Leviticus. And then you had the civil law, which was how to govern the nation of Israel, how as the people of God they should act, some legal stuff. Um, that, and then the, finally you have the moral law, which is how we are to conduct ourselves, how the people of God conduct ourselves, and the Ten Commandments come into that. And we looked at last few weeks, the purpose of the law was, number one, it shows us how to live. This is the way that God is expecting you to, to live your life and how the nation was meant to run, etc. It also, the law has a purpose to restrain sin. Because if you know that there is a law and you know there is a consequence for breaking the law, you're less likely to break the law. It's not perfect. Often people always break the law all the time, but they're less likely to. Same with us. If we know there is a speed limit and a speed camera, we are much more likely to obey the speed limit because we don't want to get points on our license and a fine. And the final thing the law does is it shows us our need for a saviour. Because the more we look into the law, the more we look into God's law for his people, we suddenly realise we cannot keep it. We cannot live up to it. We fail and fall short all the time. And so we need someone to save us, which is where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the ceremonial law because he was the ultimate sacrifice we read in the book of Hebrews. He died that one death that covered all sin for all people for all time. It was just done. No more sacrifices. No need to do that. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He also fulfilled um, the civil law because through Christ we have the birth of the church when he sent the Holy Spirit. The church now um, goes through all nations and all peoples throughout all times and is no longer one group in one place. The people of God are everywhere and so we are subject to the uh, the laws of the nation in which we live. 
And he also fulfilled the moral law in the fact that Jesus was perfect and sinless and didn't break anything. And he chose then to restate that law in the New Testament, which means for us as believers today, this, these laws are still binding on us, which is what we've been looking at, seeing how they apply to our lives now. Now, the context of the passage you've got open in front of you is that God created the heavens and earth. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were his people. He told them to be fruitful, multiply. They rebelled against that. They were then under God's judgment. He then went and got a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. Abraham had a son. Isaac had a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons. The most famous one of those is Joseph, we know. They go down into Egypt. They multiply into a nation. God then says, um, sends a redeemer, Moses, to go and take his people out of Egypt because they were in slavery. And then that all happens, plagues, Red Sea, etc. And they come to the mountain of the Lord where God has said to Moses, this is where you need to bring my people too. And so the context of what we're looking at here is the people of God who are coming before um, the one who has saved them. So the people of God are free. They are no longer slaves. They have been redeemed. That's the word from the, the, the tyrant Pharaoh who ruled over them. And they have now come before God and God speaks to them and he gives them these commands to live by. And we saw that these commands reveal something about God's character, about who he is. We learn that God is a covenant-keeping God. The promise he made back to Abraham about being a mighty nation and giving him a land, God is fulfilling that. We find out about his redeeming love, that they were slaves and they were hopeless and helpless, and God came and saved them because he loved them. They were his treasured possession. We also found that God is a holy God, pure and righteous different to us, a different order. And so when the people came before the mountain, there was fire on the mountain and smoke and thunder and lightning. And God says, don't come too close because I am holy and you are not and you cannot stand in my presence. And so God speaks to his free people who are no longer slaves, who've been saved by his grace. And he says, this is how I want you to live. Now that you are free, live like this. This is why we call the sermon series Free to Live. This is how the people of God are to live. And we looked at the first two commandments. The first one, saying there should be no other gods but their God, the God of Israel. Egypt, where they'd been, had many gods for almost everything. And the God of Israel said, no, none of that. Don't want to worship all these different gods with different things. You have one God, and it is me. And we know that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the one God. He is the one we are to worship alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one we are to give our worship to and no one and nothing else. And we look at the second commandment. Well, if we know who the right God is, we've got to worship him the right way, the second commandment. So there's, nothing to, there's no idols or images, which was very prevalent in Egypt where they would have come from. But actually for us today, we can make idols out of anything. Our career, our family, our money, our possessions. And we're not to put them in the place of God. We're not to worship them. We're not to sacrifice for them. We're not to look at them to save us and give us value and worth. Instead, we're to worship in spirit and truth, full of God's Holy Spirit, knowing his truth revealed to his, in his word. And now we come to the third commandment, which is all about giving honor to his name. This one is a little bit shorter than some of the others, so let's have this up. Let's read verse 7. It says this, commandment number 3. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Very short, simple command. This command is all about the name of God and how we treat it. It's all about the name of God and how we treat it. And we're going to look at three things about this command. And we're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. 
The what of this commandment, the why of this commandment, and then the how of this commandment. First part, the what. This commandment tells us simply not to misuse, some translations use that instead of in vain, not to misuse the name of the Lord. And in this commandment, he's described as the Lord your God, which links back to the first commandment about having no other gods before me. It also links back further into their immediate history, meaning they were slaves in Egypt, surrounded by many, many other gods with all their funny names and animal heads. And they say, no, no, no. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who is sovereign over everything. I am more powerful than the gods of Egypt because I brought you out of slavery. I defeated them. I am the one who rules over you. And I am the Lord your God. There is a unique relationship with God and his people, the people of Israel. And he's making that connection. So when he's talking, he's saying, I am your God. I am the one who rules over everything. And I have a unique connection with you because I have saved you. I have redeemed you. And then we get this phrase which um, comes up there. It says in vain, sometimes translated misuse. What does that word mean? It appears twice in this commandment. It means um, empty. It means nothing. It means worthless. It means of no good purpose or in a manner that is wicked or worthless. So it's basically saying do not take the name of your Lord, uh, the Lord God and use it in an empty, nothing kind of way. Do not use it in a way that is wicked or worthless. One commentator I read said, you could translate this, you shall not lift up the name of your Lord God for nothingness. God is forbidding here the misuse of his name. And actually, you can see if you read on in the commandment that God takes this really quite seriously. Because he says there are serious consequences for those who break it. If you read the rest of the verse, it says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So there's a sense of if you break this commandment, you will be held guilty. The guilt then implies punishment. If you are caught, you are felt guilty, and there is a punishment that comes from that. We know that from any law we break, any rule we break, there are consequences of that. And so this is something God takes very, very seriously. It makes number three on his list of commandments. And so we too, as God's people, have to take it very seriously ourselves. And As we've seen, this is wrapped up in who God is because God, remember, this time is speaking to his people. He is speaking from the clouds on the mountain and his holiness is being displayed before them. And so this is something that we need to kind of take on board. And this commandment is stated um, negatively, isn't it? You shall not take the Lord your God in vain. Some commandments are stated negatively, negatively, some are stated positively. And if we look at both sides, because when approaching them, you have to look at both sides, say what's stated and then what is implied on the other side. So what's the implication of this one? What would be the positive way of stating this commandment? You shall honor the name of the Lord. That's the other side. They're saying, you shall not take it in vain. Well, then the implication is then we need to honor it and respect it, which would be the opposite of taking it in vain. Now, it doesn't mean that you cannot use the name of the Lord. Some people almost take it to an extreme. We can't even say the name of the Lord. It means you cannot misuse it. To sum up the what, we are to honor the name of the Lord and treat it with all the respect it is due. Okay, what about the Why? What about the why? Why is it such a big deal? Why is this even in the ten? Why has it made it to number three after the right God and worship the right God the right way? Why does it suddenly come in that actually there's something about his name? What's the big deal with this? Well, three quick things about this. The first one is that names matter. 
They matter a lot. Have you ever met someone and got their name wrong? That's embarrassing. That's awkward. Why? Because it means something. Getting someone's name wrong to their face and saying the wrong thing is not good. You don't, you don't want to do it. You don't want them to be on the, rece- the receiving end. I remember a while ago reading the, um, the book by Dale Carnegie, Carnegie uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People. And one of the chapters is called The Sweetest Sound Someone Will Ever Hear. What was the sweetest sound someone will ever hear? Their name. Their name. And so the point he was making in his book, if you want to make friends and influence people, you use people's name and you get it right because it's something people like to hear. If you've remembered their name, people feel that. I've had those experiences in church. When you've said hello to someone, you've used their name, they look at you like, oh, you remembered my name. Yeah, it means something. It's important. Have you ever had the responsibility of naming a child? That is a huge responsibility. In terms of naming, that is probably one of the greatest responsibilities. What do you call the child God has blessed you with? It is huge. <laughs> we had a story. This is, this is a true story. Um, there's a lady we used to work with, a lovely lady. Um, she's now gone to be with the Lord. And her name was um, Barbara. And we used to have lunch together and we'd, you know, we'd end up having, telling silly stories. And she told this story about herself and laughed her socks off about it. And that is that when um, she was born, um, back in the day, um, her mum and dad decided on a name. And the dad was given the responsibility to go to um, the office to register the name. Um, and I've had to do this twice with two children and kind of gone through that process after the child is born. A few weeks after, you have to go to the office to register the birth and kind of make it official. And he went there to register the child's name, and when he got there, he realized he couldn't remember the child's name. No joke. He remembered the first letter of the name. And he was like, it began with um, a B. Um, um, but then it turned out the lady who was doing the registering was called Barbara. And he said, it must be Barbara. <laughs> Hence, our friend was called Barbara. Turns out her actual name was meant to be Beryl. And the father had to go home and tell the wife and mother that the child was now called Barbara rather than Beryl. You can decide which, if she got a better deal or not. But it was one of those hysterical stories that Barbara still laughed her socks off and sobbed about, you know, crying with laughter. Um, but that was it. So that great responsibility, it's almost like you had one job. Do you know what I mean? Just after the mum has been through all this. And so our friend was a Barbara. And it was wonderful. And when it came to us naming our kids, we've got two sons, we spent hours agonizing over the name. You had to, how does it sound? How does it sound with our surname? How can it be abbreviated? Um, so when they go to school, we know what's going to happen. Their name will be abbreviated. What do the initials spell? Is there anything dodgy like that? You don't want STD as the initials. That just, that's just not good. You've got to think these things through. And so we went through it all. And the reason we kind of agonize over it is because names are important. Names matter. And if they matter to us when we're naming children and kind of going through that, how much more do they matter to God. Second thing, names show authority. Names show authority. They indicate who was in authority. Parents name their children, not the other way around. Why? Because the parents are in authority. 
They're in charge. They get to choose that thing. All of us have birth names, names we were given, and they were given to us. We didn't get to choose that. Legally now, you can change your name. You can make anything you want. But your birth name was given to you by someone else because they had authority over you. They were in charge. You did not, were not consulted. You did not get a choice. But here's the thing about God's name. He was not given it. He chose to reveal it. He was not given a name. He chose to reveal it. If you go back a few chapters in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, Moses goes before the burning bush. Famous story. And the voice of God speaks from it and says, you're going to go into Egypt, you're going to go and talk to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, oh. And he says, well, who's, who shall I say sent me? God then reveals his name. So says, then Moses says to God, if I'm come to come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses didn't know God's name. Israel did not know God's name. It required revelation. And God chose to reveal that. The I am who I am or I will be who I will be or just shortened I am. is four letters in the Hebrew known as the Tetragrammaton. Y-H-W-H. We kind of add vowels in to make it and we, we say Yahweh which is that was the name of God. That is what he translated to us. In our Bibles, if, we find, if you find the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in capitals, that's that way, that's that name that has been given to us. And it speaks of God's self-sufficiency because he is completely independent, requires nothing. It talks about his self-existence. He is totally, he's eternal, no beginning, no end, and his total supreme authority. So when God revealed his name to Moses and then to the people, he was so putting himself in this and I am the one in charge. I have complete authority. You did not name me. I am revealing my name to you and reminding them of that. And the way that we might think about it today, um, very kind of modern up to date, would be the area of copyright. We all know that companies have logos and names and any company that has a logo or name will have certain rights to that. You cannot use that name. And if you are going to use it, you need to use it under very tight boundaries. You must represent the logo well. You cannot distort it. You cannot change its color. You cannot add anything to it because they own the copyright. It's theirs. And when it comes to the name of the Lord, he owns the copyright. It's his name that has been given to his people to use, but you must use it in the way he has set. Just like if you're going to use a logo of a company. And there are penalties for disobedience. If you did it with a logo of a company and tried to use it for yourself or change it, you would have letters from their lawyers with threats to cease and desist and then legal action following it. And God is the same. This is my name. I've revealed it. I have given it to you. You can use it, but only within set boundaries. The final thing of the why is a name represents more than just a name. A name represents more than just a name. When we say someone's name... We mean more than just that word that is a handful of letters. When we say that name, we imply there's something more to it. And names take on more significant meanings. They aren't just words. For me, if I say the word Melanie, it's more than just a word. 
Melanie is my wife. She is my friend. She is the mother of my children. She is the woman I am in a covenant relationship till one of us dies. And so the name means so much more than just a few letters. They have a significance of that. And so when you speak that name, you are talking about just more than just one word. And it has greater implications on you. So when we talk about the name of God, we're not just talking about his name. We're talking about his character, that he is faithful and that he is holy and that he is loving and gracious and merciful and kind. We're talking about his deeds, things that he's done. And so for the people of God right there, we're talking about freedom from slavery. We're talking about sovereign power over the gods of Egypt where he displayed in the plagues. God over creation that parted the Red Sea. God that provides for them, manna and quail in the desert we see as you read through Exodus. This is the one they're talking about. And so when we say his name, there is so much more to it. I was at um, a leaders meeting on Thursday. Um, when I mentioned when we pray for Annie Martin, as part of the beginning we we did some song worship to put our eyes on Jesus. And the first song they played was this, ironically. And I knew what I was preaching on today, and I thought, this is fascinating. It was just one, I'm not sure we sung it here, but you might recognize it. It begins like this. It says, at your name, the mountains shake and crumble. At your name, the oceans roar and tumble. At your name, angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name. Shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O Lord. At your name, the morning breaks in glory. At your name, creation sings your story. At your name, angels will bow. The earth will rejoice, your people cry out. So even in that song, the name of, the, of God means so much more. It means creative power over the heavens and the earth. It means spiritual power over the angels angels who bow down and worship it means praise of God's people talking about the salvation that we have received there's so much more than just a name that is why it matters that is why it is important the last thing the how so we've got the what of the command why of the command then how so how did Israel break this command because if you know anything of the story of the people of God God says something, people of God tend to do something completely different. So they broke this command on uh, frequent. There were three things that are highlighted in the Old Testament of them breaking the command. The first one is sorcery, witchcraft. Israel had come from Egypt, where their gods, inverted commas, had been manipulated by spells, incantations, offerings. Kind of if you said the name of the gods certain times, did certain things, you would expect something in return, kind of transactional. We get a good harvest, the rain comes, you know, the, the, the fields were, the sun and the moon rise. All these things happen. They're all trying to control um, the gods, so to speak. And uh, God speaks very strongly and says, you will not have that amongst you. No sorcery, no witchcraft, no, try, no incantations, nothing to try and manipulate me. Because in doing so, you will dishonor my name. The second thing was false prophecy. People speak as though they're speaking for God, but actually they're not doing it. And it says in Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying, they're prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them to speak. They're prophesying a lying vision. So actually those who spoke, pretending to speak of the name of God, saying God says this, God holds them accountable for dishonoring his name in that. And the last one was false oaths, again in Jeremiah. 
They say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely, it says. To persuade others you're telling the truth, we say dumb things like, cross my heart, hope to die. Do we really mean that? But we say things like that, as God is my witness. And he's saying, no, 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 you don't do that. You don't use my name when you're trying to convince someone of something you're saying is false, is true. That's not, that is a way of dishonoring my name. It says in Leviticus, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. Not happening. So in each one of these examples, people are trying to use the name of God for their own advantage, like it's a kind of a trump card. If I stick God's name on this, I'll get what I want. I'll, I'll be able to manipulate circumstances and people to my advantage, to my success. And God's saying, no, that is absolutely forbidden. You are not allowed to do that. By doing that, you dishonor the name of God, you dishonor his name, you dishonor its worth, and you bring it down into nothing. But instead, if that's the kind of the negative side, what about the positive side? Israel were called to honor the name of God by speaking well of him. And the Old Testament is full of reminders of this. If you read through it and find bits where it says, in Psalm 8 verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 29, verse 2. We are to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. People of God were to speak about his goodness, his mercy, his power, his graciousness, his redeeming love, all those things. That's what they were to do. That was how they honored the name of the Lord and did not take it in vain. So that's the how of what they did. What about us here in the New Testament. How does this apply to us? What does this mean for us today? Well, the first thing is the invisible God that was invisible on that mountain, hidden behind smoke and thunder and lightning, has been revealed to us, has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It says in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who represents God to us. We look at him, we see God. And he taught us to pray. And he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a direct repetition of this third commandment. We are still to honor the name of the Lord. And so this is hugely relevant to us now. We are not to misuse the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the name that is above every name and just to kind of be clear it's not just five letters that we're not to misuse it's because of who Jesus is he is Christ the Lord Christ meaning the anointed one the Messiah the hope of God's people the one they've been looking forward to and the Lord is the supreme ruler the the king of everything and Jesus Christ was God come to earth as a man born of a virgin He then grew up, lived a perfect life. He then died a death on the cross in our place for our sins, took the punishment that we deserve. He then rose bodily from death, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to be on the church now and be with us forever. He is the one true God, which is the first commandment. He is the one we worship in spirit and truth, which is the second commandment. And he is the one who we are to honor and respect, which is the third commandment. We are to give the glory due his name. And this we see laid out throughout the rest of the New Testament. The Apostle Peter in Acts 4, 
when preaching, he says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.13, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we are to avoid taking his name in vain, making it meaningless, worthless, and instead seek to bring honor and glory to it because he alone is worthy of it. So it begs the question, how do we dishonor the name of the Lord? How do we dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, the first and obvious one which post people's minds go to is the whole era issue of swearing, of exclaiming the name of the Lord in a negative way, whether it's, oh, Jesus Christ, or oh, my God. They both kind of fit. That would be the first one, and... You don't have to look very far to hear people or see people doing this on television or out in your life. This is just normal. This is something we should avoid, treating God's name so flippantly, so negatively. But I guess for many of us, we've probably, if you've been a believer any length of time, you've probably got yourself out of that habit. But there are plenty of other ways that we can do it. We can use it, do it by using the name of God for our own advantage just like they we saw in the Old Testament. Using the name of God to get something we want. God told me to do this. We believe God speaks today. We believe God speaks to his people. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're full of the Holy Spirit, God, God will speak to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We have the word of God, which he speaks. But we also believe he speaks in other ways, which are submitted to the word of God. That's our highest authority. But we know God speaks in those ways. But all that means is there's a danger because we can use that to our advantage. It's like the ultimate Christian trump card. God told me. You're like, I can't go anywhere with that. <laughs> I really can't. We have to be very careful when we do that. We have to, when we feel God speaks to us, we need to submit it to Scripture, number one. We need to submit it to wise, godly counsel in a context of community of the church and say, is this what's happening? Has God spoken to me? What am I going to do with this? And then respond humbly in faith. Another way we dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus is by faithless praying. When we pray and we're just going through the motions, we dishonor the name of God. We dishonor the name of the one we are talking to. If we just do it by rote, we can sometimes do it when we do, we do the Lord's Prayer. You just kind of go through it. If you just go through the prayer like you're praying and you've got there's nothing behind it there's no faith because without faith it's impossible to please God so when we pray we are to pray in faith we are to stir ourselves we are to remind ourselves who are we talking to the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth who loves us with an everlasting love and loves others with that too so as we pray we are to remind ourselves of that we are to look to him in faith to respond we are to call out him for all our needs if we go through the Lord's Prayer, one of them is that we are to call out to him to provide for our daily bread, our needs, what we need. And we do that in faith. We come to faith and seek um, forgiveness for our sins. And that requires an element of trust. God, I trust that you will forgive me and I receive that. And we are to be people who pray in faith and we just go through the ropes, go through the motions. Maybe it's to look good in front of others, to tick it off the spiritual to-do list. 
to play the part thinking we're going on with God, when we do that, we are dishonoring his name. The next one, careless worship. When we come before God as God's people, when we join together and we sing and we proclaim incredible, life-changing truths, eternal truths about God and we have no sense of awe and wonder, when we are disinterested and apathetic, we dishonor the name of God. Imagine going on a date with someone, someone you like, someone you fancy, and you go out to the nice swanky restaurant, but then you take no interest in them whatsoever. How do you think they would feel? There wouldn't be a second one, would there? They might leave and leave you with, you know, you sitting there on your own. So how do we often treat God like that? We come before the one who saved us, the one we profess to love, and then we, we act disinterested, apathetic. When we come together as God's people, whether it's here, whether it's in a life group, whether it's in a prayer meeting, we are to stir our hearts. I'm aware we all have busy lives and things are going on and we're facing stuff, but actually we are to cast our burdens on Jesus. We are to look to him. And when we are careless in our worship, we dishonor his name. What about how do we honor the name of the Lord? Let's look at this positively. Last two things. How do we honor the name of the Lord, which is the positive side of this commandment? Two things to take away with. Number one, speak well of Jesus. Speak well of Jesus. We are to speak well of him. Number one, we speak to ourselves. First person you speak well of Jesus to is you yourself. Do you build yourself up with truth? Do you remind yourself what the Bible says about who he is and what he's done? The number one person you should tell the gospel to is yourself daily. Build yourself up. Remind you how he came into your life. He saved you when you were lost and you were hopeless. You are now holy and righteous, adopted as a son, forgiven with an eternal future. Wonderful. The Spirit of God is with you now, so you are never alone. You have a purpose on this earth. As we read our Bible, we are to build ourselves up. As we sing songs of worship on our own, in the shower, in the car, wherever it is, build yourself up. We are to speak well of God to other believers When we gather together, we have opportunities to speak to each other about the goodness and greatness of God. When we get together in our life groups and we eat and we chat and we pray after you've had some food, we get the chance to talk. What do we talk about? The most important thing in the world is our relationship with Jesus. And we get to build one another up and talk well of him and talk about the goodness and faithfulness of God, even in the midst of pain and suffering. And then we pray. We pray for one another and we pray for things going on in church. We pray for life. And we get to build one another up. And then we're to speak well of Jesus to those who do not know him. Do not know him. You are surrounded by people who do not know you. In your home, in your workplace, in your social, um, social gatherings. When there is an opportunity to speak, you speak well of the name of the Lord Jesus. You do not, we do not shy away. It's not something we should be embarrassed about. He is the one true God. He is the one who saved us. He is the one who transformed us and saved us and turned our life around. The second thing we need to do, speak well of the Lord Jesus. The second thing is to live well for the Lord Jesus. We are Christians, which means we literally bear the name of Jesus. Christ, the anointed one. We literally have his name Every time people speak about us, it's there. 
And as we go through life, we are to reflect that. How we live matters. This is what the commandments are about. And some of the commandments we go through get a lot more explicit about how we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives. Wherever you are, in your home, in your workplace, social setting, things you do, meeting strangers, kind of going about life, how we live matters. How we act matters. How we demonstrate ourselves to them matters because we bear the name of the Lord Jesus. And there are a lot more people who know that you are a Christian than you realize. Because people know, people watch, people observe, people see. And so how we treat others matters. We are to be gracious and kind. We are to serve. We are to honor them as we would speak well of God. We are to speak well of others as well and not be involved in pulling them down. We are to be first to be serving and giving Avoiding backbiking and slander and pulling down. Show generosity and love and graciousness and mercy as much as we can. We are to live lives that honor the Lord Jesus in our words that we speak and the way that we live out our lives in all that we do. Because he alone is worthy. His is the name that is above every name. His is the one that we look to. He is the only one by which we can be saved. And everything that behind that name, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what we want to honor and worship and respect. Amen? We're going to finish there. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. And the band are going to come up and we're going to worship this Lord. Okay, do you want to just close your eyes? What we're going to do now is what I thought I'd just lead you in some kind of response. Because we're doing the commands the way we are, it's always going to begin in one place, which is a place of repentance, where we realize where we got stuff wrong and we put it down and we name it before our Lord. And then we're going to move to a place of forgiveness, restoration, and worship. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. So maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to lift up your heads. Maybe you want to kind of see with the eyes of faith to one sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning in power and majesty, who bears the scars in his hands and the wound on his side from the sacrifice he made for us. Lord Jesus, we stand here before you as your people who bear your name. Lord, we want to say we love you and we praise you. And Lord God, we want to say that we have failed in this area. There are times when we have not honored your name. We have belittled it. We have shown it little honor and respect. And we ask you come now and you forgive us as your people. We recognize that. Lord, we thank you that you said that as we come before you and confess our sins you will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and Lord we stand here and say thank you for your forgiveness if you know there are things you've done even just stuff that's just come out through that summer, just name it for Jesus now and ask forgiveness just deal with it keep short accounts just very quick deal with it As I was preparing, I was really struck by the faithless prayers. <laughs> I thought, oh, crumbs. How many times have I done that? 
kind of half-heartedly prayed. Lord God, forgive me for that. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your righteousness that clothes us. Lord God, and I pray now that we would receive a fresh infilling of your spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would lift our eyes to see you afresh. Lord God, I thank you for the salvation that you have given us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have saved us as your people. Thank you that you have brought us out of slavery. We are free to live and to follow you. And I ask God now that you would give us grace to live lives that honor your name in what we say and also what we do. Lord Jesus, would our actions and our words kind of line up with what you've done in our lives? Lord Jesus, give us grace to walk in that, that this week as we go out into kind of workplaces and homes and just do the stuff of life, God, you would give us grace to honor you and to honor your name. Not just because it's a word, but because of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Because you are the one true God. You are the ruler and reigner over all things. You're the one who saved us and redeemed us and set our feet on a rock and set us free to worship you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. God's people say.